0: Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need. I'm going to throw out some brands for you here.
1: Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, Dolce Vita, Levi's, Lacoste,
0: I could go on. Shop summer's must-haves, summer dresses, match sets. I love a match set. Love a match set. Yeah, I know. Volume sleeve tops. What? Give it some volume. Espadrilles, wedges, straw, crafted bags, and so much more. Shop at macy's.com slash Style. If you love tequila cocktails, then check out the award-winning 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. It's a -a one-of-a-kind tequila that is
1: infused with the juice of real fruit. So it's smooth, it's not sweet, it smells fresh and bright, and it tastes incredible.
0: 21 Seeds makes the most delicious and easy margaritas and cocktails so you can focus on the fun, like game night with your besties. With 21 Seeds, you only need two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Learn more at 21seeds.com. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds, Diageo, New York, New York.
1: I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the Ultimate Office Rewatch podcast just for you.
0: Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind the scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hi! Well, Jenna, I think we should just jump right in. We've got a lot to discuss. Why don't you tell them what we're talking about today?
1: Search Committee Part 1, Season 7, Episode 25, written by Paul Lieberstein, directed by Jeff Blitz. Here's your summary. Desperate for a new boss, the employees of the Scranton branch assemble a search committee, but they are less than impressed with their applicants. The search committee is Jim, Gabe, and
0: Toby. Mm-hmm. The pasty crew, I'd like to call them.
1: <laughs> That's a pretty good
0: nickname. <laughs> the pasty crew <laughs> will be interviewing you. Dwight
1: really wants to be considered for the job, despite the fact that he fired a gun in the office. Mm-hmm. He is not a candidate, but he's going to make himself a candidate. Yes.
0: All right, are you ready for fast fact number one? I've been waiting. You said you had something fun.
1: Yeah. Fast fact number one is that this episode was originally 75 pages long. It's like a small phone book. I mean, movies are often 90 pages or 100 pages. Y'all, it was thick. It was. I reached out to Paul Lieberstein. Mm -hmm. He said he really enjoyed writing this episode. And I also found that the writers created a 23-page cliffhangers document. This was a document that included cliffhangers for every single character in the cast. Ooh. This is my favorite thing since Finding the Show Bible. I read all 23 pages. I wish I could just
0: read them to you now. Every character had a cliffhanger for the whole season? Every
1: character had, like, a cliffhanger, and then they said, like, what that cliffhanger would then become for season eight.
0: Ooh. But then they didn't use all of them? They used, like, one or two? That's right. Okay. But they were so fun. Angela,
1: your storyline about getting engaged to the senator is in the cliffhanger document. And also the fact that people are trying to decide if they should tell you that he's gay, also in the document. Okay. All of that made it into the script, made it into the story. But the writing staff clearly loved the storyline because they dedicated seven pages to it. Come on. It was the most pitches (laughs) of any character. The second most pitches... We're on a Ryan Kelly storyline that never came to fruition. What was their cliffhanger? Basically, every pitch was that Ryan finds out he has a child.
0: Oh, no way.
1: Or that Kelly is pregnant with Ryan's child. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In some cases, Ryan's child is like 13 years old. In some cases, Ryan's child is three. (laughs) One of the pitches I really liked was that Ryan and Pam get together for a play date with their two toddlers. That was sort of fun. There was also a pitch for Jim and Pam that made me laugh out loud, which was that they were going to find out that a disgraced person, like a person who does something that goes viral in a not great way, has the name CeCe Halpert. And they have to decide if they're going to legally change her name.
0: Because everyone's talking about whatever show is CeCe Halpert online. That's funny, right? Yeah,
1: that is funny. That is really funny. Yeah. I mean... I feel like I know people who have famous people names, and I always wonder what's that like. Like, I know a regular guy named Steve Martin. Oh, my god. What happens when he makes a reservation? He lives in California.
0: Steve Martin, but not Steve Martin the comedian. Yeah, like Brad Pitt, but I live in Nebraska. I wonder if there's a Nebraska Brad Pitt. (laughs) I don't know, but that's a funny idea.
1: All right. Do you want fast fact number two? Y'alls. Okay. The main plot of this episode is that Jim, Gabe, and Toby are interviewing applicants to be the new manager. Mm -hmm. And this is going to bring in a slew of famous cameos. We have in this episode Will Arnett, Warren Buffett, Ray Romano, Ricky Gervais, Catherine Tate, James Spader, and Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is actually in part two. Yes. But you get it. Finger legs guy. Finger legs. That's right. (laughs) Victoria Kay from Wisconsin said, was this episode sort of a trial run for which of the guest stars would be a good fit for the show in upcoming seasons? And Jake M. from Delaware said, when Paul Lieberstein was writing this episode, did he know who the guest stars would be? And did he write parts based on their strengths or did they cast people after the script has been written? That's a good question. Yeah, I would like to know that. Well, I talked to Paul. And he said, no, they wrote the script, and then they started reaching out to people.
0: Oh, because I swear the way they wrote Merv was Ray Romano. Like, in my mind, if I had to cast anyone as Merv, (laughs) it would be Ray (laughs) Romano. So I was wondering which came first.
1: Paul also said that they had not made any decisions about who would be joining us as a potential manager for season eight. The cameo actors were not even necessarily being considered. For roles, not even James Spader or Catherine Tate, who actually ended up joining us. Paul also said the way we got most people was that they just called them up and said, hey, do you want to play this part? And everybody they called said yes.
0: That's basically how we get guests on Office Ladies. We just text or call someone and say, (laughs) do you guys want to come on our show? And then they say yes or no in some cases. Or no, I'm filming in... Where was Keanu Reeves filming? remember when we were? oh, yeah, out? he was he was like somewhere, like, like, seriously, he was where he was like in Rome or somewhere.
1: you know, one of our big guest stars was Will Arnett, mm-hmm. who I have done two movies with. I did a movie called Brother Solomon with him. Yes, it's a very funny scene where we are on our very first date, and mm-hmm. he proposes marriage to me in a restaurant. <laughs> and I have to awkwardly say no. <laughs> But, of course, people in the restaurant don't know it's our first date. Right. So they're rooting for him. (laughs) Yes. So awkward. (laughs) It's amazing. And then I also worked with him in Blades of Glory. He is a wonderful person. I reached out to him to ask him about getting his role on The Office, and he sent in audio
0: clips. Oh, my gosh. This means we get to hear his voice because this man could read the phone book to me. I love his voice. I don't know him at all. But I love his voice. His voice is in my house all the time because of the Lego movie. Oh,
1: yes. And incidentally, Lego Masters was Mm. like our first big family show that helped us get through the beginning of the pandemic.
0: You guys love that show.
1: We love it. All right. Here is what Will had to say about coming on our show.
2: I remember getting a call, I guess, from my agent saying that Paul Lieberstein from... The Office, who is obviously the showrunner and and one of the stars of the show, wanted to talk to me about a role. I knew that they were looking for a new boss on the show, the character of the boss. So we had a conversation or two, and he'd said, Hey, we've got this idea, and, and would you want to come and do it? And I also remember him saying, Basically, to the effect, something to the effect of, if it works out, would you be interested in doing it kind of long-term, joining the cast? And I was a fan of the show. And, of course, I knew a bunch of people on the show and thought, yeah, it would be great. And so we talked a few times. And it was kind of left like, well, just come and do this episode. Just come and do this scene. And then let's see how it goes. And I was like, great. At that same time, I was also talking to NBC, uh, the network, about doing a, a pilot for that Lauren Michaels was producing, written by my friend Emily Spivey, uh, with Christina Applegate. And it was a great pilot. And I just remember that they were both kind of happening around the same time. So there was a question as to whether or not I could actually do The Office, even if I wanted to, kind of longer term, even though they hadn't actually said that they wanted me to do that. I, but I do remember them kind of both coming around the same time, and and talking about actually doing up all night um, on my way to shoot, um, the, uh, you know, the office. So anyway, I I was a little confused as to what it was going to be.
1: So I remember all that because I remember he did end up doing that show with Christina Applegate. It's really funny. Yeah, and I remember being super bummed because. You know, he and John Krasinski are really close buddies. And I had worked with him before, and John and I were campaigning heavily for Will to join the office. To be the new branch manager. Or just come on our show. Right, we right. just like him so much. Yeah, yeah. He's such a good guy. And we wanted him to be on the show so badly. And then he ended up doing that other show.
0: Aw. Well, I at know. least he got to come
1: play one day. He did. And I did ask him what was it like to be on the set and doing that scene. And here is what he said.
2: You come onto a show, especially a show like The Office, that was really good and everybody was, you know, at the top of their game. And I, you just don't want to stand out and be terrible. And you want to make sure that you're not, you know, coming in at a different volume from everybody else. But I was really excited because I was doing a scene with John Krasinski, who was and still is one of my good friends. and uh, And that was exciting and fun. And then with Paul scene in, in Zach Woods, and we didn't really talk too much about what it was going to be. It was just kind of, I'd read the scene and then, you know, we just, they're like, all right, they're ready. Let's go. And we just started, we just shot it and it was pretty quick. Uh, my memory was that it was kind of over before I knew it. And how long am I supposed to talk for? Is this, am I just like 30 minutes? Um, I was born in Toronto Uh, I'm a Taurus
1: I remember it felt like it was over before it started too
0: Well if you guys love Will Arnett the way we do Go to the DVDs There is an extended producer's cut for this episode And his scene has a lot more fun stuff His character has a very funny story about being in the Navy So if you like Will Arnett (laughs) Go to the DVD extras
1: All right, fast fact number three We've talked about all the people from outside of Dunder Mifflin who are applying for this job, but there are three internal applicants. They are Daryl Philbin, Andy Bernard, and Dwight Schrute. And after this episode aired, NBC.com posted their resumes. Oh, no way. Online. You found them? Yes. OfficeTelly.com still has them. And I thought I'd read a little bit from each of their resumes. Let's start with Daryl. This is sort of alluded to in the episode. You know, Joe is going to say, why is your resume so long? Aren't you the same Daryl Philbin that has only had two jobs at the Mm -hmm. same company? His resume is four pages long. Yes. Well, his resume does confirm that Daryl has only ever worked at Dunder Mifflin, and it lists his starting date as June 1999. Under work experience, he has a line that says, quote, upheld the highest standard of safety amid the warehouse. The D'Angelo Vickers incident was the first happening of coma and will not result ever again. I can almost promise you that, end quote. (laughs) All right, on Andy's resume, something I found very charming is that the font for Cornell University is larger than any other font on the entire page, including the one for his name. That tracks. It is also in bold and all caps. It looks like Andy worked, quote, brief, stressful, yet invaluable, invaluable? Invaluable. Okay. Stints at AIG, Bears, Stearns, Enron, and Lehman Brothers between 1996 and 1998. And then in 1999 he started working at Dunder Mifflin Stanford. And under his special skills, he, of course, lists Frolf and Banjo.
0: I'm surprised he hasn't mentioned his um, summer studying to be a fromage. I know <laughs> like, the fromagier. <laughs> yeah, fromagier. <laughs> Finally, Dwight Kurt Schrute the hmm. third.
1: Did we know he was a, the third? I feel like somewhere he said he was Dwight K. Schrute the third. I feel like that. Maybe I have no memory of it. Okay, but it is listed on his resume. Okay, he lists his titles as assistant regional manager manager slash sales representative, beet farmer slash volunteer sheriff deputy, and respected capitalist. According to his resume, he has only ever been employed at Dunder Mifflin and he started in 1995.
0: That's his only job? Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Me too.
1: By the way, his special skills are listed before his professional experience. And here are his special skills. Wait, they're at the top?
0: They are first on the resume. That is beautiful. Right? That is how I would love every resume to start. (laughs) That is so good. It actually would be kind of nice. Yeah. You really are going
1: to get a sense of the person first, (laughs) and then you're going to learn their job experience. (laughs) Okay, go. All right. He is trained in the art of surveillance, possesses a purple belt in Goju Ryu, master of one-upmanship, expert in beat-related Agrotourism, senpai at my dojo, sci-fi pundit, table tennis champion, skilled at guitar and recorder, survivor of twin embolization syndrome. <laughs> That's and, a nice callback. Right? <laughs> and proficient in pre-industrial and religious German. Now, if that resume came uh-huh. across your desk and yeah. you read that, I would be dying
0: to meet this person. Of course. It's like what Joe says in the second part. Like, I like a little bit of crazy. (laughs) Yeah. see where this goes. All right. That's all I got. Those are my fast facts today. Well, they were fantastic. I think we should take a break because when we come back, I talked to Creed Bratton about this cold open, and I can't wait to share with you. I can't wait to hear it.
1: So this winter...
0: Oh my gosh, yes, Jenna, we're loving Hungry Root too. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, kids' snacks and meals, and vitamins and supplements. Well, I took the quiz over on Hungry Root,
1: and oh my gosh, they nailed it. One of the things that I really wanted was I wanted a salmon dish that was quick and easy. I said I wanted to cook food in less than 12 minutes. I was very ambitious. This was one of the choices. And they sent me a miso salmon that, oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And it was easy. It was maybe five ingredients.
0: So tasty. So fresh. I loved it. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Office Ladies listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When you
1: travel, do you ever think like, oh no, I hope I locked up. Did I leave a window open? Things like that. Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe was named best Home Security System in 2024 by the US News and World Report and Newsweek ranked it best customer service in home Security.
0: Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space, you know? I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/officeladies. That's simplysafe.com/officeladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Well, we are back. And Creed is going to zip into the parking lot in a really nice silver convertible Porsche. His license plate says new manager. You guys, I asked Creed about this scene. And he told me, he said, Ange, I had a Porsche back in my grassroots days. What? Yeah. And he said, so I told the producers, I can drive this car because they were maybe going to get a stunt driver. He goes, no, no, no. I got this. I know how to drive this car. I'm familiar. And... The way the scene was going to be done is that Creed would pull into the parking lot, come to a screeching halt. Matt Sohn, our camera operator, would be standing in the parking lot with a handheld camera. Okay. Right? Yeah. They told Creed where to stop, but they were like, hey, Matt, we're going to make a little wall of sandbags around you. Smart. Because what if Creed misses the mark? He could hit you. (laughs) My gosh. And Matt was like, no, no, no. I trust Creed. I know he's got this. To be fair, are like a few
1: sandbags going to really stop a speeding Porsche? I don't know. <laughs> okay.
0: So Creed was like, Matt trusted me. I was like, I got this. He said, I pulled right up to him, hit the brakes. Matt didn't even flinch. He goes, look at the camera. It doesn't even budge. Wow. Yeah. Nerves of steel. They got the shot. And then he said when he gets out, you know, Creed tosses the keys and says, keep it running. But there's no one there. Yes. Yes. He said that was the third toss because the first two tosses, the camera couldn't find the keys. They had to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Like, where are you tossing those? Because he doesn't look, right? Right. But I love that Creed was like, I'll drive the Porsche. I yeah. Got this.
1: Well, you know, I remember talking to Creed recently, and he said to me, Jenna, when you get to the part where I'm manager, I have some
0: stories to tell. Oh, So yeah. I'm so glad you talked to him. We had such a fun conversation. I was like, Creed, you got to come in. And he said, well, and he calls me Pumpkin, you know. He's like, Pumpkin, I'm going to New York. I'm recording my new album. You guys, he's 80. He's recording a new album. The it's man's coming amazing. out soon, yeah. right? Yeah, he's working on it. I told him, I said, Creed, when your album comes out, you got to come on and talk to us about it. And he was like, oh, I'll do that. Ooh, and play us one of the songs in studio. yeah. Well, here's a fun
1: little tidbit from Randy Cordray. You know, you mentioned that his license plate says new manager, new MGR. Yeah. They actually had to clear that. They had to make sure that there was not a Pennsylvania license plate with that exact lettering.
0: And there wasn't. So we were able to use it. Wow. I know. I feel like if you're a diehard office fan and you love personalized plates, that's like a nice little nod Hey, if you live in
1: Pennsylvania, you should get that plate. I mean, maybe it's not still up for grabs, but it was at the time.
0: Well, Creed is going to start off with a talking head. He's going to say, do I love being manager? I love my kids. I love real estate. I love ceramics. I love my job. I love wrestling. While he's making this speech at 28 seconds, Michael's world's best boss mug is on his desk.
1: Yes, because Michael gave it to Creed.
0: Yeah. Oh, I missed that. That's a good catch. I also love that we found out that he loves his kids. What? Excuse me? Yes. Nicole W. from Maryland was confused. Mm Mm-hmm. Same as we are. I'm sorry, Nicole. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, Creed's show Bible must just be pages long. I know. At some point before our rewatch ends, I think you need to start off an episode just reading Creed's show Bible.
1: Okay. I like this idea. (laughs)
0: Creed is dictating to Jordan a bunch of things, and he asks her to figure out what language this is, and then he speaks a bunch of gibberish. Yes. I went to the shooting draft to see what all was scripted. This was all scripted. Okay. Except it did not describe the language. That was up to Creed.
1: Oh, yes, what the
0: gibberish would be. What it would sound like, what Mm -hmm. it would be. Creed told me he made that language up off the top of his head, but he had given himself a little backstory for his character That someday everyone would find out that Creed was an alien. Oh, okay. So he decided his made-up language should have an alien sound. So that's what he was going for. I get it. Mm Mm-hmm. Do we need to hear his made-up language? I feel like we do. Find out what language this
2: is.
1: I mean, I hear the alien in there. I
0: hear it. Obviously, Creed said he loved running a conference room with only Kevin and Meredith in there. <laughs> and he says on this side of the room, Stanley, Phyllis, Jim, Ted, Elroy. On the other side of the room, Pam, Meredith, Phyllis, Creed himself. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, we have his bullpen meeting where he has his poster board that says Bobati. And he's having everyone help him make this acronym. Kevin says B is for business. Creed gets very excited. And Creed in real life wanted to point something out to you guys. He said, for those of you who pay close attention to tiny details, you've probably caught in past seasons how the character Creed would get his co-workers' names wrong. Mm -hmm. He said, well... This was a choice I made for my character, and I never shared it with anyone. I never told anyone. I never asked for permission. I would get the scripts, and people's names would often be accurate, especially in the beginning. And I would purposely say them wrong while we were filming. (laughs) And no one ever corrected me on it. So I just kept doing it. But this time, he said, because Creed was the branch manager... He thought, no, I'm going to get Kevin's name correct. Oh, what a great tidbit. I know. I thought that was so cute. Also, at 59 seconds during the scene, you can clearly see John starting to break. Jenna, he looks over at you and he's about to lose it.
1: Oh, I know. We had a fan question from Brittany in Sunbury, Ontario, who said, how on earth did you get through those scenes with Creed as manager? How many takes did you have to do for those? And how many times did John Krasinski break? Brittany, every time he broke. Every time. And I think what Angela is pointing out is you can see it. Like, we had no footage of him not breaking or almost breaking.
0: He is so clearly not Jim at 59 (laughs) seconds. I know. He's just trying to turn away, I think, to avoid camera. But the camera caught him. Well, now we're going to have the opening credits. You guys remember... Michael would always take his dundee and kind of put it into position on his desk, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Well, now that he's gone, each new boss has a little moment where they take a figurine and position it on their desk in the opening credits. A little recap for you. In Inner Circle, D'Angelo adjusts a Southwestern figurine. In Dwight K. Schrute, Acting Manager, Dwight adjusts a Shogun statue. And in Search Committee, Creed adjusts a fan made in the shape of a sumo wrestler. Yeah. I had to ask Creed about this. Oh. And here is what he said. He said, Ange, that little fan sumo wrestler statue was on my desk on the very first day of filming. It was on his original desk. Yes. Wow. He said it was with him for the entire run of the show. And he said it was one of the things he took when the office wrapped and he has it to this day. That is pretty cool. He said it's really odd looking. <laughs> But he was like, I have to have
1: it. This is reminding me of my pen with the wonky broken giraffe mm-hmm. on the end of it, on like a little broken spring Yeah, that was in my pencil cup. And I still have it in my pencil cup at home now.
0: Yeah. and Just I, some odd trinket. Some odd trinket. I have the um, cat paperclip holder that has the chipped ear. It's on my desk from day one. I wish that I had
1: that weird, like... You remember it? it? We talked about it a long time ago when we were breaking down our desks, like back in season one. It was like a plastic, colorful thing that had like spiky
0: oh, yeah, things coming out it was, of it. Oh, yeah. Someone it was. Different like, colors.
1: Different colored plastic things on it. it yeah. I mean, wow. Could I be describing it worse? I don't think so. <laughs> but I wish I had that thing. But it did eventually disappear. Like when Pam took it to Michael's paper company, it was in her box. But I don't think it ever returned.
0: Well, at one minute and 25 seconds, Creed is playing the guitar in his office for some women. I was wondering if these women had a name, if they were described at all. All I could find in the shooting draft is that Creed tells Jordan his friend Ace is stopping by. Hmm. Not sure this lady looks like an ace. I asked Creed about this scene, and he said, actually, there were two women. One is dancing. One is seated. They were both dressed kind of like hippies, and that they just told Creed to play his guitar, and that's his actual guitar, and he's actually playing. Nice. I guess Creed just has friends stop by. (laughs) Those two women,
1: they were just background performers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was a great day of work. I mean, you get to just sit in an office and listen to Creed play guitar. Mm -hmm. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love every time Creed played his guitar. Well, now we're going to go into the conference room and we're going to meet our first applicant. Mm -hmm. His name is Fred Henry. A man with two first
0: names. Oh, good point. Mm -hmm.
1: Fred Henry was played by Will Arnett. Will kind of talked a little bit about this scene. I love it that he has a three-step plan to double their profits, but, you know, he's only going to share the plan if he gets the job. And then they're like, well, how do we know you have a plan? Mm Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I wouldn't tell you I have a plan if I didn't have a plan. And then he shares. Just one, one step of the plan. One part of one yeah. step, which mm-hmm. is color code said documents. TM. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to discuss. I think he's right to not share his plan to double their profits. Mm. Why would he do that? I mean, I get it. They're like, but we need like, are you the real deal? Because then they could just take his idea. They don't need to hire of him. Of course. Yeah. Yes. You know, this is a complaint of a lot of writers in Hollywood, which is that they'll get these meetings for a different show, and then part of your meeting is that you sit down and pitch ideas for this television show or this movie, but it's not – you don't own your ideas. Like, once you give them in the interview, they can just, like, not hire you, but they can be like, those are a couple of good ideas. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. When is it your intellectual property, and when is it not?
0: Lady, I one time auditioned mm-hmm. for a show. Yeah. And I improvised a line in my audition. Yeah. And I did not get the part. And the line I improvised when I watched the show was in it. The-
1: this is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think if they wanted the line, they need to hire you. I know. If they want your good idea, then you need to get the job. That's how I feel about it. I'm, you heard it from me. I'm with you. Jim's going to have a talking head where he says, We are the search committee. And the search committee is him and Toby and Gabe. And they're looking for their candidates. And Jim did not know that Gabe's last name was Lewis. Hey, two first names again. Gabe Lewis. Oh! You know, my husband has two first names or two last names. That's true. Lee Kirk. Have we talked about this? Yes. And sometimes you go places and they're like, Kirk Lee? Always. Always. 50% of the time. Hello, Um, Mr. Lee. (laughs) Now we're going to go to the elevator. Stanley, Daryl, and Phyllis are all heading into work. They seem excited. They know Daryl is going to be interviewing today. And I think Daryl is kind of everybody's favorite choice for new manager.
0: Yes. In the extended producer's cut right after this elevator scene, there's a scene with Stanley and Phyllis and they're telling the camera operator that they're excited about Daryl being the new manager and they're rooting for him. And that didn't make it in the broadcast episode. But you kind of understand their energy from the elevator because they go right into this one-on-one with the camera that they're rooting for Daryl. Daryl is the most capable, most sober
1: choice. Yes, he's the most level-headed. Yes, absolutely. He's also shown himself to have great business ideas. Mm -hmm. He is who should be manager. Yeah. Now, Craig Robinson did an interview, though, Yeah. around this time where he said, I don't want the job. Oh, yeah? I like being just Daryl supporting character. Mm -hmm. I am not interested in leading conference room scenes and doing what Steve Carell did. So he was like, I don't want it. Like Craig <laughs> Robinson was like, I don't want Daryl to be manager.
0: <laughs> well, Andy really wants to be manager and he's going all out. He has a pin that says Andy for manager and he's putting up posters around the office with this catchy slogan. If you are on the search committee, please consider Andy. Andy is he running for school president
1: or is he applying for a manager job? This is
0: exactly what I thought. It made me think of this guy when I was in high school that ran for student council and he made posters. His name was Doug and he made posters that said, plug for Doug. Um, I, I know. And I he, he put them everywhere and and I feel like this is kind of like Andy with his slogan and posters. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what Plug for I can't I, even say it. I know, I know. Plug for Doug. I know, Jenna. I'll never forget it because we were like, "What are you doing?" This led me to Google American campaign slogans over the years. Okay. Oh my goodness, what a ride! I cannot share all of them. There are way too many, but I'm going to give you a few, and I made up my own categories. Oh, great! <laughs> the categories are old timer, keep it simple, fantastic. And hey now. Oh, boy. These are not in chronological order. They are in order of my categories. Okay. Here we go. From the old timer category, Abraham Lincoln, election 1864. Don't change horses midstream. That was his campaign slogan? That was one of them. That's like a saying now.
1: I know. He coined that saying, or was it a saying and then he used it as a campaign slogan? We don't
0: know. But what we do know is Franklin Roosevelt liked it so much, he used it again in 1944. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's another one from William McKinley, election 1900. Let well enough alone. Oh no, his <laughs> campaign slogan was let well enough alone. Yep, what does that even mean? I don't know. This is why it's the old timer category. <laughs> now, from the category, keep it simple. Okay, Dwight D. Eisenhower, also known as Ike, election 1952. I know this one. I like Ike exactly. Keep it simple. Next one, and keep it simple. Dwight D. Eisenhower again In 1956 I still like Ike Oh There you go <laughs> And now from the Puntastic category Ulysses S. Grant 1872 Grant us another term Wow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was very torn within myself Whether to label this category Puntastic or wah-wah. I see Okay, okay. Alfred M. Landon, election 1936. Let's make it a Landon slide. And Thomas E. Dewey, election of 1944. Do we or don't we? No. No, that's not real. (laughs) It is real. Do we or don't we? Do we or don't we? Why are you even giving people the option to don't we? I know. In your campaign slogan. Well, (laughs) lastly, from the hey now category. Al Smith, election 1928. Al Smith? Someone named Al Smith ran for president? Yes, Jenna, in 1928. Campaign slogan, make your wet dreams come true. What? This was referring to... (laughs) Wait, listen. This was referring to his stance in favor of getting rid of prohibition. He was referencing alcohol. He was going to make all of this. Was he? Well... Did we not have the term wet dream back in
1: 1920,
0: whatever? I I don't think so. I don't think so. That (laughs) campaign slogan did not age well. It did not. For him. Well, buckle in. Richard Nixon in 1972 had an official slogan that was, keep it simple, Nixon now. Okay. But a few of his supporters and non-supporters had slogans in the hey now category. Okay. Here are two. That really caught on with his supporters. They can't lick our dick. Wait, wait, wait. What? What is happening? I'm telling you. Next one. (laughs) Don't change dicks in the midst of a screw. Vote for Nixon in 72. I don't understand what is happening. I know. These are slogans? These are slogans that caught on with his supporters. People had a lot of fun with his name. And now one from folks who did not support Nixon.
1: I, I mean, I can't imagine his supporters ones are Looney Tunes. Okay. Right. Dick Nixon
0: before he dicks you. Now I like that one. Okay. I'm going to have to say. That's clever. Well, that's everything from Hey Now. And that is my coverage of campaign slogans. That delighted me. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Aaron is very impressed by Andy's. Campaigning. Mm-hmm. And she really hopes that he gets it. And now we're going to kick off a little storyline between Aaron and Phyllis. We hinted at this in a previous episode this idea that Aaron might be Phyllis's long lost daughter that she gave up for adoption.
0: And it seems like they both really want it to be true. Yeah, it's really sweet. We're basically going to find out that Aaron was born in around the same time and region where Phyllis gave away a child. And the chances are slim, but they want to find it out.
1: Yeah, and I guess they've done some sort of a test, and they're waiting for these results. But in the meantime, Phyllis is going to take on a very maternal role in Mm -hmm. Aaron's life, and it's really quite sweet.
0: Now we see Dwight at his desk. He is unshaven. It doesn't look like he's showered. He's eating a bag of chips and reading the newspaper. At 4 minutes, 55 seconds, I want to know, what is up with Rain's facial hair? Thank you for bringing it
1: up, because you said he's unshaven, but he's... What? What? It's a patch. There's like a... But only on one side. Yeah. It's like a a rectangle of hair that's slightly longer than the rest of the scruff.
0: Slightly longer and a different color. It's very bizarre. I want to know
1: what happened. It's very, very odd. I don't know if you noticed, but there is a computer game on Dwight's computer. This was, you know, to further prove that he's not working. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is unusual. You know, we're not going to see the character of Dwight ever playing games on his computer. He's all business. All business. But
0: I liked that little detail that they made that point. He is not working. hmm I did also notice next to the weird facial hair, Pam's plant. Oh. Yeah. It's a very nice plant. Oh, thank you. hmm I didn't notice it.
1: Now we're going to move into the conference room. We have another person interviewing for the job. He's very concerned about being reimbursed for his mileage and his long-distance phone calls. This character was played by Warren Buffett. You guys know the billionaire Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah. A lot of questions about how this came about, and it's a very unique story. Jonathan T. from Utica, New York, actually wrote in and had some insider details. Oh. And I'm going to read you what he said. So he said, I have no idea if the cast remembers filming this, but here's the short film I saw featuring the cast of The Office. He said, there's a conference room meeting. And in walks Warren Buffett, who announces that Dunder Mifflin has been bought out by Berkshire Hathaway. And Warren Buffett is now the CEO of the company. I remember this. Yes. Everyone in the cast, were sitting in the conference room. Mm-hmm. We react. Then Dwight stands up and says, I will be your number two, Mr. Buffett. And Mr. Buffett says, sorry, Dwight, but that position has been filled. In comes Charlie Munger, who approaches Dwight and says, Dwight, right now there are 87. Wait, then he adjusts Dwight's tie and says, 88 ways I could kill you right now. Jonathan says, mind you, these were not impersonators. It was the cast of The Office, and Rain Wilson is Dwight. And he wants to know. What are the details behind filming this little scene for the Berkshire Hathaway (laughs) shareholder meeting? How did this come about? Did this happen during search committee? Well, Jonathan, we totally remember filming it. And it directly led to Warren Buffett's cameo on the show. So here's how it went down. Warren Buffett reached out to the producers of the office and asked if we would film something for his annual meeting. This is something we have never done before as a cast. This Mm -mm. is not something that we would do. But Paul discussed it with us, and in exchange, we agreed as a cast that we would do it if Warren Buffett would make a donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Make-A-Wish was a charity that we as a cast had supported over the years. We mm-hmm. had
0: a lot of people come through as yes. part of their wish. It was our one of our big charities that we worked with during the run of the show.
1: Yes. Warren Buffett made a very, very generous donation to Make-A-Wish, and so we agreed to have him And Charlie Munger come to the set. And I guess while he was visiting, we were filming this episode. And Greg Daniels said, hey, would you also do a cameo on the show? And Warren Buffett agreed. And that is how that all happened. It was just a sort of crazy bit of timing. However, do you remember the little thing that happened when Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were there with the bathroom? Do you remember the bathroom thing that happened? No. No.
0: You don't remember this?
1: What? Okay. We don't know which
0: one of (gasps) them it was. Oh, I do. I do. One of them used the prop toilet. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Yes! We don't know who it was. No one told them that the bathrooms in the kitchen are fake. Yes. They're all prop toilets. There's no running water. Yes. Oh, my God. So one of them peed
1: in the fakey urinal. Mm -hmm. And it was like, there's no it doesn't go anywhere no it's just like peeing in a bowl yes yes at least it was pee that's right I mean to be fair they really look like real bathrooms a hundred percent I can't believe it hasn't happened before I frankly know. but after that we put up signs yes we did that said this is a <laughs> fake bathroom and they even like remember they would put they tape. would tape over the toilet yes and they only removed it when we were shooting <laughs> um, I totally forgot about that yeah that was crazy Angela, you're very happy in this next scene. I know. The you know something's coming. I know.
0: The senator has invited her to lunch at the Botanical Gardens. Scranton's hidden gem. She's very, very excited. Kevin warns her not to eat any berries that she doesn't recognize. Is Kevin eating berries at Botanical Gardens? Probably.
1: Probably? Angela... I did something that I hope you will enjoy, which is a mini deep dive on the best botanical gardens in the world. Oh, I would love it. Let's hear it. Because this should be like bucket list for us. Mm -hmm. All right. The number one best botanical garden in the world on every list I looked at is Kew Gardens in England. Have you been there? No. I have not either. We have to go. It is. It is. A UNESCO World Heritage Site, there are more than 50,000 plants, including the world's largest water lilies. Oh. But you're going to like this, Angela. Oh, they have hydrangeas. Probably. Oh. <laughs> they have a giant greenhouse that is separated into different zones. Each zone creates a unique climate so that they can host all kinds of different plants. And they have a whole section on succulents.
0: Oh, Yes. I think you would like it. I would like it. I loved how many hydrangeas were in England. I would literally make the family like stop on our walks and I'd be like, I need a photo with these hydrangeas. Have you considered a coffee
1: table book that is just photos of all the plants that you've taken pictures of on your walks and on your travels?
0: No. Just for yourself? Maybe when I'm like an older lady, I'll do that. I'll just take pictures of flowers and hummingbirds and give it as a gift. That's what everyone wants. Give it as a gift to yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Also noted on these lists were the botanical gardens in Singapore, Rio de Janeiro, Norway, and Cape Town, South Africa. In the United States, there were three gardens that were featured on the best of list. They are the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx, Mm. which I've heard a lot about and haven't been to yet. It was modeled after Kew Gardens, the Desert Botanical Garden in Phoenix, and I am very proud to say... The Missouri Botanical Garden in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey! My parents go all the time. It has an 8,000 square foot butterfly house. It's absolutely gorgeous. Way to go, St. Louis. If I ever get to come home with you, I want to go there. Of course. Okay. Yes. They also have the corpse flower. Do you know about the corpse flower? (sighs) It's a giant thing, right? It's very big, and when it blooms, it only blooms for like 24 hours. Yes. And when it blooms, it smells like rotting flesh. Ooh. My parents stood in line for it because it bloomed a few years ago in St. Louis. Did they witness the corpse flower? They saw it, but they said by the time they got in there, it had started to not smell anymore. So it blooms for 24 hours, but the smell is only like six to seven hours. Like it doesn't smell the whole time. Yeah. So they missed the smell, but they saw
0: the bloom. Well, maybe that's not the worst thing. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I agree. And so ends my mini deep dive on botanical gardens. I really want to go to the one in England. I mean, listen, I, I will go to all of them. You will never, ever have to twist my arm to go on a road trip to see plants and flowers. I just feel like I should go on record saying that. (laughs) (laughs) So noted.
1: (laughs) Lady, should we take a break? Because when we come back, we're going to meet a fantastic candidate, Robert California. And I just, I need to marinate in it because I loved this scene so much.
0: Talk about a lesson in scene study and how to command a room. James Spader as Robert California in this interview is not to be missed. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Well, folks, you know I have a lot of family in Texas, and I just want you to know... If you travel to Texas, there are vast landscapes, cultures, regions, destinations, activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. You can have fun in the sun. Texas has 350 miles of coastline. That's right. Or if you like more of a rugged vacation, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, and the food. Can we talk about the food? Tex-Mex. And barbecue. There's live music, art museums, cowboy experiences.
1: Come on. Right now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-the-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. So you go in there and you click your interests, and it'll say, here's where you want to go in Texas. Mm-hmm.
0: Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash own. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash office ladies. Just go to Indeed.com officeladies office ladies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash office ladies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We are back and we are about to meet a former refinery equipment salesman named Robert California.
1: Yes. Toby is gonna ask, like, how does your experience as like a refinery equipment salesman sort of translate into the world of paper? And Robert California has a speech that it needs to be heard. It does. Let's listen to it. I
2: sit across from a man. I see his face. I see his eyes. Now, does it matter if he wants $100 of paper or $100 million of deep sea drilling equipment? Don't be a fool. He wants respect. He wants love wants to be younger. He wants to be attractive. There is no such thing as a product. Don't ever think there is. There is only sex. Everything is sex. Do you understand that what I'm telling you is a universal truth, Toby? Yes.
0: I mean, I hung on his every word. I mean, the scene continues, and it's so rich. Yes
1: we had a fan question from Susanna H. in Clermont, Florida, who said, did they pick James Spader and then write Robert California for him to play? Or did they create Robert California and cast James Spader because he's perfect for it? I kind of mentioned this earlier. They created Robert California first. And then Paul had the idea of James Spader to play this role. It is perfect. I loved it. I know for certain that James Spader memorized that word for word because later in season eight, when we go on to work with him, he was like
0: a word for word actor. Mm -hmm. It's exactly as it's scripted. Yes. And he talk about someone who just has such a presence. And Paul and Zach and John's reactions as their characters to him are so great, too. They are terrified of him. They're mesmerized by him. And then his, like, look to camera at the end. Yeah, Paul
1: said James immediately knew how to put a button to the camera, and it was pretty amazing.
0: Well, a great line for anyone in an interview. If anyone ever says to you, you know, we think you might be overqualified, just look right at him and say, do I look like someone that would waste my own time? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, his interview is done. Robert California is going to exit the conference room and he sizes up the whole bullpen and you can feel his gaze like it affects everybody. Jim says that he creeps him out, but he might just be a genius. Mm-hmm.
1: And now it's time for Daryl's interview. But Daryl, I think he thinks he's just going to get the job. He
0: has not prepared a resume. This is very un-Daryl. Like, because in the warehouse, he's so prepared. But I think you're right. I think he thought he was a shoe in Like, this is a formality.
1: Yeah. We got a lot of mail about this storyline with Daryl and kind of like you said about how you kind of can't believe it seems out of character that Daryl wasn't more prepared. This was a criticism.
0: All I could think of was maybe he's never had to do an interview, like maybe at the warehouse he was hired and worked his way up or something, but it, it didn't track for me. It didn't
1: track with a lot of fans, and it also didn't track with Miles McNutt at the A.V. Club. Oh, Miles. This was one of his main criticisms of this episode, which he otherwise scored as a B-. Okay. He said, quote, "...while I can understand Daryl expecting that he would get the job based on his strong relationships with people, the idea of not even bothering with a resume seems to reduce his intelligence too far. He can still have hubris without seeming entirely unprofessional." And I don't even think it was worth it for a clippy joke. He's not wrong, Miles. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I kind of agree. This felt a little too far out of character. We are now down in Caffeine Corner for one of my favorite scenes of the whole episode.
0: Dwight is in the corner and he is watching an exchange between Merv Bronte and Robert California.
1: Mm -hmm. Merv Bronte, played by Ray Romano, he's coming in for
0: his interview. As perfect as James Spader was for Robert California, I thought Ray Romano was perfection for Merv Bronte.
1: Yeah, Merv just sort of says like,
0: oh, you know, just how, how is it? He's making small talk. Yes. And Robert California, because he is just <laughs> mischievous and somewhat sinister, plants a seed of doubt. He's like, you know, that just looks like a place where everyone is just working till they die. It's like dreadful up there. It's horrible. Yeah. And Merv gets in the elevator and Robert is in Merv's head. Merv gets in the elevator and he's like, no, I don't even know if I want this job.
1: Yeah. Well, Dwight doesn't care for what Robert California has said about Dunder Mifflin. And he's like, what qualifies you to make these judgments? And Robert California just stares him down. And Dwight's like, stop it. Stop trying to figure me out. Already figured you out. Oh, it's already
0: done. I mean, I loved the two of them going toe to toe here. Mm -hmm. How fun for Rain. That must have been so fun as an actor. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I
1: feel like also of all the applicants... We see Robert California interact with other office members. Yes. You know, mostly the applicants are just with the search committee. But I have to imagine, I know that Paul said we had no plans to bring James Spader back for season eight. But I have to imagine that when they got in the editing room and they saw this scene between Robert California and Dwight Schrute, I mean, I just, as a
0: writer, I would have begun having like a flurry of ideas. It's so great. How he affects everybody is so great. And of course, this is a plot point. We need to motivate Dwight to reapply. That's right. And now Dwight is like, I'm not going to let this guy get the job. And he's going to reapply. Merv, meanwhile, is going to have a sandwich during his interview. He has a line that made me laugh so hard. He says... (laughs) They ask him why he left his other job, and he says, I'm leaving my other job because they were all jerks, really. Then he opens up his Tupperware, and he starts eating his sandwich, and he says, you know all of them. You had your jerk wads and your jerk offs, so just between the wads and the offs, I had to get out of there. (laughs) I also noticed how Ray Romano, he didn't bite into his
1: sandwich. He tore off a piece of sandwich. Do you bite your food or do you tear?
0: Because it's a way to eat your sandwich. I mean, here's the thing. We don't really know Ray Romano. Yeah. Like maybe he normally eats a sandwich by just biting into it. But I loved the character choice that this man, Merv, is like all of a sudden annoyed, annoyed that he's there. So him like tearing at it, talking about the jerks and the jerk wads, it just fit for me for the story. hmm But yeah, I generally bite into a sandwich.
1: I think I'm going to put this in my acting journal that I keep mm-hmm. of behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, remember I told you one of mine is like lady who applies lipstick immediately after finishing a meal. Yeah. That's like a character trait. One of mine is
0: nervous laughter lady. Yes. Yes. that she's like, how are you doing? (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And like then when I get a role, I go to my little journal
1: and I see if any of these little quirks apply to my character. Well, I'm going to have to put down person who picks sandwich instead of bites into it. Or bring
0: sandwich to a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Jenna, I was in a movie called Struck by Lightning, and I was the high school counselor. Mm-hmm. The director was Brian Dannelly, and we were talking about this scene. It's between my character and Chris Colfer, who's a high school student. Yep. Chris Colfer actually wrote the script. And Chris and Brian and I were talking about, like, what would my character be doing as students were coming in to talk to her? And they were saying, well, maybe she took this meeting on her lunch break. She's eating a sandwich, like, through the whole scene. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And we decided on a big sloppy sandwich. And it was so difficult to eat it and talk at the same time. Things were falling out of the sandwich. It was a hot mess. It made it into the bloopers. So, Jenna, for your actor's journal, I'm just saying be particular about the sandwich. Do I want a large sloppy sandwich? Maybe I do.
1: It sounds like it was a hit. Well, difficult to deal with in the moment, but
0: provided some good comedy. I can put the bloopers in our stories and you tell me if it was the right choice.
1: (laughs) Well, we have Aaron sure to thank for that Ray Romano cameo. You remember that Aaron was a writer on Everybody Loves Raymond. Yes. And Aaron volunteered to reach out to Ray Romano, and Ray said yes immediately. I loved,
0: loved Ray Romano as Merv. Angela has returned to the office in a chauffeured car. Yes, you guys, in the extended cut, Angela shows Hank her ring first before everyone else. Her giant ring? Yes. What, is she Naomi Judd? (laughs) I know. And Hank goes, damn, girl. And I say, I know. (laughs) And then she goes up to the office and shows it to the bullpen. So here's the thing about this ring. I remember Phil Shea coming over to me with a box of rings, and they wanted it to be a showstopper. They wanted it to be a ring that Kelly would be impressed with. That's a good note. So it was about like three carats with Mm -hmm. little diamonds on either side. I think it was um, a cushion cut or emerald cut. I can't remember. It was like one of those, right? Like the square rectangle. But it was really big. Jenna, I... Googled what rings that size cost, and they are so expensive. Oh yeah, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, your state senator—he threw down
0: some cash for that. Yeah,
1: something I didn't mention from the cliffhangers document and Mm -hmm. the seven pages of pitches that involved your character marrying the Uh senator—is that in the end, was there were several pitches where we were going to find out that the senator was corrupt? Oh. And you were going to have to deal with whether or not you turn him
0: in. So he's getting money from somewhere.
1: I mean, see, they planted the seed with this Mm -hmm. ring. How does Mm -hmm. he have this money? I don't know. Maybe it's a fake ring.
0: Well, Angela starts to tell their engagement story. She says that he tucked a flower behind her ear. Mm -hmm. And he got down on one knee to ask her to be a senator's wife. And Pam laughs. And I'm saying right here and now that this is some Pam snark. She couldn't help herself. She said he talked about himself in third person. And Angela's like, yes, Pam, not everyone is as informal as you and Jim. Dude, whatever, want to marry me?
1: And everybody laughs. Uh-huh. Pam's like, that's not how it happened.
0: And then one of my favorite things is Angela says, and then I saw flashes. Reporters were there. They always find us. And everyone was crying, even his aide. Oscar's going to have a talking head
1: where he says Angela is engaged to a gay man. And he says, as a gay man... And as Angela's friend, he's horrified. But as a lover of elegant weddings, he's excited. Yes. So Oscar
0: has decided you're going to have a nice wedding. He's pretty sure. And he also finally can't hold on to this information anymore. He needs to let people know that Angela's engaged to a gay man. Guess who is going to interview for this job now? It's Andy. And listen, if you ever need anyone to give you a pep talk, don't ask Phyllis. Because this is what she says. Are you sure this is a good idea? I hate to see you disappointed. Yeah. Well, right off the bat in his interview, Gabe is not having it. No, he's just sort of throwing out
1: odd, unrelated questions. How many windows are there in New York City? But then Andy throws down some serious knowledge about the sun, which causes Gabe to flip out and scream, Shut up about the sun. <laughs> Emma M. in Florida wanted to know if that was scripted or improvised. Emma, that was scripted. Yeah. Shut up about the sun. I feel like that would maybe make
0: like a fun, ironic coffee mug. Shut up about the sun. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, Daryl is working on his resume. And as Miles McNutt said, this is the Clippy joke, right? Yes. Remember Clippy? This is old tech. It was part of Microsoft. Yes, when you would open a document, a little talking paper clip would come up. I remember Clippy. hmm I looked up Clippy. Clippy's original name was Clippit, and Microsoft got rid of it years ago. Time labeled it one of the fifty worst inventions ever. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's a list of the fifty worst inventions? Yes, and Clippy is on it. But nearly three decades later, guess what? What? It's coming back. Clippy's coming back? Yes. According to the internet and also an article I read at SeattleMet.com, last year Microsoft officially revived the Office Assistant that they debuted in Office 97. The character replaced a plain old paperclip in Microsoft 365 to help liven up the company's emojis and indulge a social media outpouring. Clippy can now permanently live in Word files, Outlook emails, or other common workplace apps. Well, listen. Though coding circles treated Clippy like New Coke, pop culture never quite quit the retired paperclip. When Daryl Philbin needed help with a resume in the season seven finale of The Office, he pined for Clippy. Wow. And then it goes on to list all the different times Clippy came up in movies and TV shows. So one of the points this article is making is that while the coding circles thought Clippy was total crap, pop culture loved Clippy. Here was the thing. Clippy would come up, you're typing a document, and Clippy
1: would be like, are you sure you meant to say it that way? Yeah. And it would give little suggestions or like, if you needed help, you could ask Clippy, how do I change my margins, Clippy? Mm -hmm. And then Clippy would tell you. But you could also just
0: shut down Clippy from the beginning. Yeah, so it wouldn't talk to you. Yeah. Well, Clippy lived on in TV and movies, and now it's made a comeback. I don't know how I feel about it. I know. Now we're going to get to a bit with Pam and Creed
1: that gets quoted to me all the time and has been turned into a meme, and it is, they are the same picture. Oh, here's what's going to happen. Pam overhears Creed telling a longtime client that Dunder Mifflin is going out of business. And she's like, oh, no, this is on her. So she hands Creed two photos And says, you have to spot the seven differences between these photos. Corporate needs this. Yeah. It's very important. He doesn't ask,
0: why does corporate
1: need this? Mm -mm. No questions. No. And then Pam simply has a talking head where she says, they're the same picture.
0: Of all the things Pam says, I had no idea that was one that you get, like, quoted or said to you or used, like, on the internet.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, it's a whole thing. Like, it gets used politically a lot, like... You know, someone's trying to make some political point, and they'll have, like, the meme of they're the same picture. Oh.
0: I know. Well, one of the things I notice in this scene is how pregnant you are. Yeah. This is when you had bought your own shirts. Yep. It's true. Well, lady, because we spent a whole season pointing out my baby bump, I think whenever I see yours, I just get so tickled, because it's your turn now. I know, and I still wasn't telling people. I know. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) Well, I have two favorite lines in this episode, and one of them is going to be in Kelly's interview. Kelly says, well, I manage my department, and I've been doing that for several years now, and God, I've learned a lot of life lessons along the way. And Jim says, your department's just you, right? And Kelly says, yes, Jim, but I am not easy to manage. (laughs) That just (laughs) makes me laugh. I think it's a great line. It really is, and she delivers it perfectly. Gabe is going to throw some Gabe sass and say, are we really taking her serious? Because we have a lot of other serious candidates. And Toby and Jim are like, no, no, no. We're going to give her a full interview, Gabe. So Gabe says, "Okay, Kelly, what are your weaknesses? And Kelly says, I don't have any asshole. Yeah, that was a blur lip flap. Oh, I bet it was. bleep or stage off
1: camera. Mm -hmm. As previously mentioned. We got a fan question from Natalie G in Manhattan, New York, who said, I always wondered why Pam didn't apply for manager. She would have been a good manager. This also would have been a great story arc in which she can find confidence, and seeing a female manager would have been great. Was this ever a consideration? Well, Natalie, there were a few story pitches. About Pam applying to be manager. For example, one had her submitting a resume under a fake name just to see if she would even get an interview. Hmm. We didn't end up doing that. But then another had her actually getting to interview and kind of bombing. And then you had to see how Jim dealt with this reality, how they dealt with it as a couple that she just really didn't do great in her interview. And it was going to be a sweet moment, you
0: know? Well, I'm glad they didn't do that because I don't need to see Pam fail at anything ever again. Yeah. (laughs) It's been enough of Pam failing at her dreams. And her creating the office administrator position was such a win for her and was so empowering that that's that's the Pam I want to know.
1: Also, honestly, I don't think Pam is qualified to be manager. She's only been in sales like a teeny weeny bit And I know that Daryl has never really been in sales, but he managed a whole department. He's had a managerial position before. And there did end up being a sales element to that. Remember, like Mm -hmm. he came up with the commission for the people in the warehouse. Pam, however, she worked in sales for Michael Scott Paper Company. She worked in sales a little bit for Dunner Mifflin. I'm not sure she's the person who should be managing a sales team, frankly. I don't know. So it's okay with me that Pam was not considered. I will say that.
0: Well, right about now, Dwight is going to bust in to the conference room and say that he wants an interview.
1: Yeah, and Jim's going to take him outside to the parking lot and just be like, Dwight, I, I mean, we, we cannot have you as manager. Like, it's just not going to happen. And there's a great line, as Dwight is trying to convince Jim, where he says, quote, the hand that reaches from the grave to grip your throat is the strong hand you want on the wheel. Mm-hmm. That's going to come back
0: in part two. It is. Did anyone notice when Jim and Dwight were walking through the parking lot talking, how many flipping zigzaggy power lines are on the street? No. I couldn't take my eye off them. Now, listen, I watched the episode like three times. The first two times I watched Jim and Dwight, okay? Okay. But by the third watch, I was like, what's up with all these power lines? Well, to be fair, the third watch is for
1: background catches. It is. We
0: call it our background pass. I took a picture. I will put it in stories. I mean, it is craziness. It's craziness. Oh yeah. It's quite a few power. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lines. There's a lot. Yeah. All right. We it were was... surrounded by electricity. <laughs> Definitely. This next scene I'm titling Hot Goss in the Break Room. Ooh, it is hot goss. Oscar decides to finally spill the beans and he's gonna tell Pam that he thinks Robert is gay. Mm-hmm. Pam pushes back and says, no, 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 wait, he's married and has a kid. Oh, my God, someone finally brings up Robert's kid. Yes. This never happens. Yes, and Pam says, wait a second,
1: did you see Robert at a bathhouse? And Oscar's like, what? And she's like, yeah, the windowless building by the Baskin Robbins. Oh, never mind. I'm never going to know what goes on in there. Lady, lady, listen to me. There is a windowless building that went in down the street from my house. They started building it. Mm -hmm. Me and my kids are obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. It has no windows. It has no sign. It has no business name on it. We watched it be built. We were like, this is so weird. Why would you make a windowless building? It's not a storage facility. It has an address on the side of the building. You can't see it from the street. We have driven around it. We go by it. We keep waiting for them to put a sign on it. It's in business now. Windowless building in business, what do they
0: do? I need so badly to walk into it. Well, you know. But what? I'm scared. Well, you know what I'm going to say. What? This is a case for mom detectives. This is a case
1: for mom detectives. Angela, will you put on a silly costume and disguise yourself and walk into the windowless building by my house? With you? Well, I'll be in the car. You're sitting like, in alone? Get Since I live in the neighborhood, I'm afraid, like, what if it needs to... You know what I'm saying? It can't be anyone local. All right. I'll do it. Okay. I'll do it. But I felt this when Pam was like,
0: I need to know what the window is building by the Baskin Robbins. I was like, oh, my gosh. I have this mystery in my own life. I will 100% go up there. You need to film me from the car, though. Of course. I will knock on the door. You need to
1: have a little, like, fakie flower that is also a camera.
0: No, now, listen, I'm not going to go and buy one of those. This is like, what can we do on a shoestring budget? That's true. Things from our home. okay.
1: But in season two, I think the moms are going to invest in fakie flower cameras.
0: Fine. For their lapel. I was going to do this in real life. I wasn't even doing this as a TV show. No,
1: I know. I'm just saying that as we use these real experiences to influence our television show. The TV judge. Yes. Yeah eventually i just went, put a pin on that idea okay okay i'll do it i'll
0: go knock on the door i'm dying to know what oh it is. i know i have the plan what I is have it? the plan what is it okay near my house is one of those like fruit basket companies okay you know where you can get like the strawberries that look like little tuxedos but they're in a basket or it's like pineapple on a stick but half of it has chocolate you know what i'm saying i do okay i'm gonna get one of those okay And I'm going to go to your windowless building. Yes. And I'm going to say, I have a delivery for you. It's a fruit basket. Yeah. That's my plan. And then
1: what if like you can't tell what it is from the lobby? Are you just going to be like a chatty delivery person that's like, oh, what do you guys do here? Yeah. What's your business? Yeah.
0: Or I could come and be disgruntled neighbor and say, hey, we've had some noise complaints. I like the fruit idea. Okay. I feel That's like more it's... Me.
1: Well, more me. Well, it's more you. It's going to be easier role for you to play. And then also, I just think the hospitality of it is going to mm-hmm. open them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Who's the
0: fruit from, if they ask? Um, the city. Okay. Thank you for doing business here. <laughs> the city. <laughs> Maybe a good time for me to tell you I'm really bad at lying.
1: <laughs> I know. But I think you're very good at acting. I so am good at So this is a role. Acting. This is not a lie. Right. This is a character right. that we're bringing character. onto mm-hmm. the street. Yes. Think of it as performance art. It's performance art. I did a lot of that back in my improv days. We'll get back to you, everyone, on the windowless building by my house.
0: <laughs> I'm excited. Well, we're about to have some interviews with people from the UK. First up is David Brent. It's over video. He basically says if they're looking for a leader, he's ready. When does he start? So Paul Lieberstein
1: reached out to Ricky Gervais about doing an in-person cameo as one of the applicants. And Ricky really wanted to do it, but he was like working on another project at the time and he couldn't travel to L.A. So first he pitched the idea of filming something in the U.K. Like this was very elaborate. It was so nice of him, though. He was like, I'll build like your lobby area and then I'll film my side of it and maybe he's the last applicant and Pam's kind of like shutting down the office for the day and he walks in and then it would cut to me in the United States just sort of saying like, sorry, the interviews are over. And then he could also then have like a talking head. Mm -hmm. Or he said, I could just film like a video interview and you could use that. And Paul was like, I think that'll work better. I think, you know, that was to build the lobby and then get all the lighting right and everything. What if it didn't cut together right? Right, right. That could be like a little tricky. So Ricky sent in four (laughs) options of interviews. We picked this one. I bet he did that so fast because that character is just so easy for him. Yeah. I mean, I could watch him do 70 interviews as that character.
0: The next person from the UK to interview is going to be Nellie Bertram. Yes. Catherine Tate
1: plays Nellie Bertram. My gosh, she is amazing. Such a funny comedian. Had her own show
0: in the UK, which is so funny. She's hilarious. She's another person I could just watch, read the phone book. I love that I keep referencing a phone book that no one has anymore. (laughs) But Catherine is so talented. You know, In the shooting draft, they had a different version of the scene that as I read it, I could hear her voice. It was so funny. And then this scene is hilarious to me. She just keeps waffling. She's like, first, she's like, no cubicles. And then they're like, hmm. And she's like, definitely cubicles. And then she's like, no, 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 no cubicles. Everyone just sits on the floor. Everybody is their own boss. No, everybody's somebody's boss. She's just (laughs) going back and forth. So I guess
1: Catherine Tate, said yes immediately like everyone else but she was in rehearsals for a play when this was shooting and she came to do our episode she was in the united states for like 36 hours oh my gosh! she flew in kind of came directly to set and then i think she left the very next day because she had
0: to get back for rehearsals is that crazy that is just boss lady I wanted to read you guys one little thing that was in the shooting draft about the very end of her interview. Mm -hmm. It didn't air, but I thought it was very funny. She says to Toby, well, what are you offering? And Toby says, well, and before he can finish, she says, right, I'll take it. Need a job. Desperate. Good match. Sloppy match. Whatever. (laughs) Good
1: match. Sloppy match. Whatever. (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) great. All right. Final scene of this episode. Things are going to get real for Jim Halpert.
0: Oh, yeah. He's just going to grab a cup of coffee in the kitchen, and Oscar says, is there a front runner? And he sort of casually says, well, they're just all sort of blending together after a while. Maybe I'll just pick a name out of the hat. Ooh, that doesn't go over well. Some Stanley sass is about to happen. Mm -hmm. He says, the hell you will. I worked for the last boss for 15 years. According to my doctor, I don't have another 15 years. If I want to keep up the same dietary and sexual lifestyle, which I intend to... Yes. My next boss will be my last boss. He'll be at my funeral. Yeah. Meredith is ticked off too. She's like, you pick a crappy boss, you're responsible for my crappy life. And then Oscar. Oscar's annoyed. Yeah. And then Ryan
1: says maybe, maybe Jim should take a day off from his gym shtick and try caring about something for a change.
0: Yeah. That was my second favorite line in the whole episode. Little advice. Take a day off from the whole gym shtick, Yeah, and then he calls him James. And then he shuts his door to his little closet.
1: <laughs> uh. Oh, well, that is a Search Committee Part 1. A big thank you to Will Arnett for sending in those audio clips. And to Paul Lieberstein, who traded countless texts with me
0: so that I could get all my info right. And to Creed Bratton for chatting with me on the phone about being the branch manager and finally, Randy Cordray, guys,
1: these were Randy's last episodes, so we're going to be saying goodbye to Randy after next week, and I I, I don't want to stop emailing him
0: every week. I just love it. I know. Randy is the most lovely person. Not only has he been so gracious with his time and sending us really detailed emails about each episode, but he's just a wonderful human, and he gives us everything. Emails of encouragement. He lets us know that we're doing it right. He checks in on us. We just adore him so much. Well, and that's how he was when he was the line producer of our show.
1: Same person. Mm -hmm. All right. Next week, Search Committee Part 2. See you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our show is executive produced by Cody Fisher. Our producer is Cassie Jerkins, our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer, and our associate
0: producer is Ainsley Bubba Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE.
2: spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we all carry around different stressors. Some are big, some are small. I know I keep mine kind of bottled up and it can start to affect us.
1: Visit BetterHelp.com slash OfficeLadies today to get 10% off your first month.
0: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot OfficeLadies.